Welcome to today's energy show. On this week's show, we're talking about the solar coaster. Now, the solar coaster is a term that refers to the fact that the solar industry has a lot of ups and downs, like a roller coaster. We have boon times and bust times, and sometimes the, the bust times are followed by more bust times, and sometimes the booms just keep going. But these booms and busts affect different segments of the industry differently, and we're kind of going into one of those cycles right now. So here's a brief history of the solar coaster and photovoltaics that I directly recall. And from 1999 to 2000, there was this whole thing called the Y2K rush. Everybody was trying to install battery backup systems because they were worried about the world's computer systems crashing. By 2000, the rush was over, the industry slowed down. Then 2001, the energy crisis kicked in, helped by Enron, the rates went up, incentives went up, and there was a lot of business for installers and manufacturers in California. Boom time. Then 2004, the silicon shortage hit. Great for manufacturers. Some of them doubled their prices of solar panels, but terrible for installers because the price of the most expensive product kept going up. By 2008, prices started dropping again, and this was good for customers. And by 2010, the prices had gotten so low that module manufacturers were sometimes selling at low margins, <laughs> negative margins. That was good for customers. Now, we're seeing some of that happen again, 2016, 2017. The solar panel prices are down really low, and many module companies are exiting the market because they're losing money. More about that later. So I have some quotes from Charles Dickens' A Tale of Two Cities. It just really makes me think a lot about the solar industry. He must have been thinking about that in the 1800s. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epoch of belief. It was the epoch of incredulity. It was a season of light. It was a season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. So now it was the best of times. Solar equipment prices have never been this low. The average is about three and a half to three dollars a watt for a six kilowatt system. The solar investment tax credit's good through 2021. Solar's reliable. It's cost effective. 260,000 people work in the solar industry. Over a million homeowners have solar. That's the best of times. But for some people and some companies, it's the worst of times, especially for companies that are going bankrupt or downsizing. There's three big ones this year so far, Sungevity, Suniva, Solar World, and SolarCity, the biggest, was absorbed into Tesla because they really weren't profitable. And, and now, unfortunately, SolarCity is dramatically downsizing from their former glory. So you know, it's, it's the worst of times for some companies. Now, it was the age of wisdom people got into the solar industry over the last 20 years to solve these huge environmental and energy problems. Lots and lots of smart people. Lots of great technology was developed. The U.S. has got a lot of patents around solar. And many, many terrific companies were started. Literally thousands of companies in all segments of the industry, technology, installations, everywhere. It's worldwide enthusiasm for the potential of clean solar energy to revolutionize our energy source and, and you know, improve the, the global climate situation. But then it was the age of foolishness. Oh, no, let's get specific about some of this foolishness. It's mostly financial foolishness. Companies get equity or debt investors to help them get started. That's the typical way companies get going. Traditional plan is to use this investment money to get to a profitable stage of the business. Now, sometimes it takes a little longer than expected to be profitable. So it's good to have patient investors. But investors have limited patience. And if losses continue, they'll pull the plug. So we watched this first wave of foolishness, billions of dollars from 2004 to 2009, as investors put billions and billions of dollars, I sound like Carl Sagan, into new solar cell companies that can make solar cells cheaply. Great idea. Cheap solar cells, cheap solar panels. But these investments ignored the fact which was obvious to many of the people who really rolled up her sleeves and were in the solar industry, not, not outsiders, that the reason why solar cells were expensive was that silicon was expensive. 
I mean, I watched the price of solar cells double from 2003 to 2006 simply because, and the only reason, volume was going up, simply because the silicon got more expensive. And the reason why the silicon was expensive was because of a spike in demand for crystalline silicon panels. Now, you can kind of look at the whole situation of silicon manufacturing. When the capacity for manufacturing the silicon caught up to demand, silicon costs went down again, and traditional solar cells got cheaper. It takes like two, three, four years to build a silicon factory. Once they're done, they crank out stuff really, really cheap. So all the companies that were investing in, low, in solar cells that didn't use silicon or only used a tiny bit of silicon, their whole raison d'etre disappeared. Unisolar, nanosolar, miosolar, cylinder, many others with thin film solar technologies tanked when they couldn't reduce their cost as fast as traditional silicon cells. Now these silicon cells and silicon panels, they're down you know, in quantity in the, the mid 30 cents a watt, you know, 40 cents a watt. 40 cents a watt is profitable to make solar panels. And a lot of these other companies that had alternatives couldn't compete. Second wave of foolishness. It's a little more subtle. The solar cells and the panels are a commodity. I mean, the electricity they produce is a commodity. I can't tell the, the difference between a kilowatt hour that's produced by the highest efficiency, coolest looking panel from SunPower from a panel from Solar World, which makes great panels, but these guys went bankrupt last week. The kilowatt hours are the same. And then solar world panels are still just as good. You can't tell the difference. So they're a commodity. And over the last few years, the solar panel prices have continued to decline. There's lots of production in Asia. And a lot of this production is really good. It's making good equipment there. Just to put this in perspective, in 2004, I was paying about 260 a watt for panels. But by 2005, the price went up to $3.75 a watt. In 2012, it started coming down again, you know, 2008, 2010, 2012. In 2012, a solar panel was selling for about $1.20 a watt. Now, some were more expensive than others, but that's kind of the average. Now, in quantity, they're less than $0.50 cents a watt. So I'm hearing about prices for huge utility-scale projects, maybe not the highest efficiency stuff, but in the, the mid-$0.30 cents a watt. So my understanding is that these really low solar panel prices are very close to the manufacturing cost, or in some cases, below the cost of manufacturing. So as a result, solar panel companies have very low gross margins. And when gross margins get low, there's not enough profits in the company to cover the overhead and the borrowing costs. So what happens? These companies lose money for a few quarters. They keep losing money. When money runs out and they can't pay their bills, they go bankrupt or they have to sell. So the real foolishness is expecting that solar panels are not commodities, and the real foolishness is expecting that by continuing to sell at really, really low prices, we can build a sustainable business. And, and, and it's kind of crazy to expect that your peers are going to also kind of behave rationally. So it's just a very dangerous place to be right now. So what do these solar panel manufacturing bankruptcies mean? I mean, it's kind of scary to anybody who's buying panels, installing panels, and manufacturing side. Well, it doesn't mean a hell of a lot. Because the most important thing to remember is the solar panels are still good. These, these panels are extremely reliable. They're going to keep working for 25 years. And I just have a lot of personal experience with solar panels from companies that aren't around anymore because I was installing things in 2001. Many, many of the, the systems that I installed from AstroPower, Evergreen, BP Solar, Shell and Siemens, Sharp, Kyocera, SunTech, I do maintenance on them. I do maintenance on systems that other companies installed that aren't around anymore. And guess what? The panels are still good. I can't recall, there's very, very few cases 
where there was a situation where there was an actual defect in the solar panels and the panels weren't good. It's generally not going to be a consumer problem. And it's only a problem for the manufacturers if they're going bankrupt, obviously. But if you're a consumer and if you're thinking about buying solar panels, look for a quality manufacturer that makes a good product. And you know what? I mentioned a lot of these companies, Kyocera, Sharp, Siemens, SunTech, they made some of the highest quality panels that I've ever, ever seen. And almost without exception, these panels are all working really, really well. So don't panic. Don't worry if the panels that you have on your house are from one of these companies that are gone, because I'm sure they're still working. But for installers, the installers that are still you know, installing systems, it's a big problem when their main supplier goes out of business. Because when a company is no longer in business, even though their product is good, you don't have warranty coverage. And that makes installers nervous and it makes customers nervous because the company that's backing up the warranty, the company that's providing the warranty, you know, it's gone. So, you know, think about a car that you might buy from a manufacturer that's out of business. It might have a 100,000 mile warranty on it. Like solar panels have a 25 year warranty. Well, if the car company is gone, that warranty is no good. If the solar panel company goes bankrupt, there's nobody really around that's going to back that warranty up if there's a problem. Now, once again, it's not a problem for consumers because there's almost never, ever a problem with the panel. But it's a big problem for installers because they provide a pass-through warranty. And the installers are reluctant, understandably reluctant, to offer a personal warranty themselves from a bankrupt company unless there's a backup to that warranty. So the reality is right now, installers in the U.S. are scrambling to find alternatives to SolarWorld. I mean, SolarWorld's a German company. They have a Solar World America offices in the U.S. They make great products. They're reliable. Their responsibility as far as fixing problems has been great. They, they recently had an issue with their connectors. And I got a letter actually this week from Solar World saying, don't worry, there's a little glitch with the connectors. Not a problem at all, just a heads up. Very responsible. The panels are still good. But there's a lot of uncertainty about whether or not there's a warranty backup for those Solar World panels. And that's a concern. Okay, now let's pick up with some more excerpts from Charles Dickens' The Tale of Two Cities as it relates to the solar industry. It was the epoch of belief, and we believed that bigger is better in solar. Well, when it comes to the installation business, bigger is definitely not better. Now, there was a belief among many investors and many solar companies that the residential installation business could grow nationwide. And I was one of the first big believers of that. I built my company, Akina Solar and Westinghouse Solar. We were national. We had offices all over the place. Public investors were pouring money into our company so that we can get bigger and get scale and dominate the market. And guess what happened? The bigger we got, the more money we lost. Residential construction, residential solar doesn't really scale that well on a national basis. What ends up happening is the bigger installers, because they have more overhead, more offices, more layers of management, more reporting requirements, they have to sell at a higher price. Now, there was a recent study done by NREL, the National Renewable Energy Lab, that the quotes from large installers are typically 10% higher than small installers. So if you get a small installer that's quoting at $3 a watt, the larger installers are going to quote at $3.30 a watt. And my experience is it's, the gap is even bigger than that because a lot of the big installers won't quote at all on a tricky roof. They run away from barrel tile roofs. They run away from ground mounts. They run away from shake roofs. So if you have a tricky situation, if you want something special, you're not going to get it from a big guy. The little guy will help. So what's happening with the residential solar industry in this epoch of belief that bigger is better, but it's not true? Well, what's happening is the small local installers are dominating again. 
we went through about five years where the large installers got bigger and bigger. And, and at one point, I think amounted to over 60 or 70% of the business. Companies like NRG, Varengo, SolarCity, Sungevity, Sunrun, Vivint, they do good work. But most of these companies are gone. Although they installed good equipment, they backed up the systems, their costs might have been high, it might have taken them a long time to put the installations in, but they just weren't running a sustainable business. They couldn't sell at a price that was competitive with local installers. And the price that they were selling at, even though it was higher, they were losing money hand over fist. And I had that exact experience. So what these companies are doing, and I mentioned a few, Energy, Varengo, SolarCity, Sungevity, they're gone. The solar city sold out to Tesla. The others are pretty much shut down. And then lots and lots of, of large, medium, and, and regional installers also tanked. They got too big, and they really just couldn't manage the cash flow. And as I said, I had the same experience with Akina and Westinghouse, and now I'm much happier and more profitable running a small local installation company in San Jose. Now, my revenues aren't that high. My total profits aren't that high. But you know what? It's a nice, sustainable business. You look around for anything you want to put into your house, whether it's roofing or plumbing or you need some carpentry work or put a deck in. It's the small local guys that are going to give you the best service and the best price, and they're going to be around to back it up. Okay. Back to Tale Two Cities. It was the epoch of incredulity. Well, what I find most incredulous is the belief that coal and nuclear have a future. It just blows my mind. Yes, we needed these technologies in the past. Heck, you know, we built the Industrial Revolution on coal. And last few decades, we got a lot of power from nuclear. I mean, heck, over the last 50 years, a lot of our energy was from nuclear. But these technologies are no more useful right now than buggy whips. They just aren't efficient, aren't cost effective. What's incredulous to me is that there are still serious people, they call themselves scientists and engineers, that are talking about clean coal or even cars that are powered by fuel cells. Now, I've, I've done podcasts on these subjects. I mean, I'm not a super expert on them, but heck, you just kind of look at the costs, the technology, the basics. You look at the thermodynamic principles, the energy that comes out divided by the energy that goes in and the cost of that energy that goes in and the amount of money that you can sell that energy that comes out. And the thermodynamic principles clearly show that technologies like clean coal, even car fuel cells, they don't pencil out in the real world when you have cheap wind and solar and battery storage. And the same thing for nuclear. I mean, nuclear works, but it's just more expensive than gas than solar and wind. It just costs more. So what's happening? Utilities aren't putting it in. Okay. So it was the season of light. Now we had about 10 years of really positive, bright lights shining on the solar industry from about 2007 to 2017. I mean, you think back, President Bush signed the original solar investment tax credit. He's a Republican. He signed the ITC and uncapped it for residential solar, 30% total cost of the system. He uncapped it. That tax credit and uncapping it for the residential industry was probably the best thing that could have happened for the residential solar industry. And it's been a boon to homeowners, and it's been great for small installers putting in system. Then... In 2015, SIA and a lot of other organizations worked really hard to extend that tax credit until the end of 2021. So that was great. It tapers down in, in 2020 and 2021 a little bit, but you know it doesn't go to zero until, until 2022. So that's been great. We got four more years to go. And the Clean Power Plan... It was going to be a terrific thing. I mean, we were talking about putting in a half a billion solar panels and cleaning up our, our country's electrical generation. Well, you know, coming, coming back to Charles Dickens here, it was the season of darkness. We have a less solar-friendly administration in Washington, D.C. Now, they still may, may be okay, and I, I'm an optimist. Otherwise, I wouldn't be in the solar industry. Heck. But, you know, what's happening in terms of their actions, 
canceling the clean power plan, overturning environmental and clean energy regulations, really pushing the heck out of fossil fuel generation, which isn't going to be good for the environment and also you know, isn't necessarily going to be good for, for clean alternatives like wind and solar. Big changes at the Environmental Protection Agency and the Department of Energy where they're really downplaying renewable energy, downplaying climate change. It creates a big cloud over the industry from a policy standpoint. Now, Hopefully it's not going to be a complete eclipse where things go dark. And I don't think that's going to happen because we still have, you know, some really good fundamental economics for solar and, and residential solar is going to continue to go in. But it could be a lot better. And we were looking at a situation that it was going to be a lot better. So let's continue on with Charles Dickens here. It was the spring of hope. Now, the spring of 2017, we hoped that the solar industry was going to do great. We hoped that the EPA and the DOE would not be negatively affected. We hoped that the U.S. would try to put unemployed coal miners back to work with the new energy forms, wind, solar, battery storage, things like that, deploying the technology. Now, it's too early to tell how these things are going to play out, but you know, it doesn't look great so far. That's why I think we're going to have the winter of despair. It might be a very despairing winter. A black swan event is something that's surprising. It has a major effect, and it's an extreme outlier. It's just really almost never happens. Well, it's something that is actually happening right now. And I'm talking about the new International Trade Commission action that Ceneva, a U.S. manufacturer of solar panels, is putting in place. And they're trying to put a 40 cent watt tariff on all solar cells and a 78 minimum, 78 cent minimum price. What that effectively would mean is the price of solar panels would more than double immediately. And that's going to really mean that the sales in the U.S. are going to slow down in all channels. It's going to clobber the sales in, in utility and, and big commercial systems. And it's also going to be bad for residential a little bit. Yeah. So this could be like a really, really rough winner. I am sympathetic and supportive because we've been installing Made in America panels for two and a half years from a company called Oxen. You know, I really do want to see U.S. manufacturing be built. But we have to come up with policies that make sense. And the blunt instrument of a tariff or a minimum price doesn't really help. When we kind of look back, you know, six or seven years ago, there was a dozen companies that were making solar panels in the U.S., and there's a number that were making solar cells. Guess what? Right now, there's only two or three left, and they're struggling. So these tariffs aren't having the effect that we wanted, which is to rebuild the U.S. manufacturing base. And there's ways to do that, and we can talk about that more. So this action that Ceneva's taking at the International Trade Commission. I mean, ironically, Ceneva filed for bankruptcy in April 2017, and then they right away filed an, an action against all U.S. importers with solar panels. So they're going to try and make all panels coming into the U.S. cost at least $1.18 a watt unless things are made in the U.S. And there's really, really tough to make them in the U.S. because there's still going to be a tariff of 40 cents a watt on sales. So the net effect is that if this Ceneva ITC action is successful, the cost of the panels is going to rise to about three times of what it is right now. And we're going to know what will happen in about four to six months. I'm hoping that the case will go away, but it may not. So the winter of 2017 might be rough. But I don't want to end this week's show on a downer. I mean, we're talking about winter. We're talking about things that would be bad. There are very practical things that consumers and industry participants can do. First, for solar panel manufacturers and inverter manufacturers, whether you're making things overseas or in the U.S., the same thing's going to happen. So I would say focus on high quality. Focus on lowering your costs. You know, if you have a product that's more expensive than others, it's got to provide really, really big benefits. The other thing is, I don't expect the situation to change immediately. So you know, kind of have to hunker down and be careful, at least to find out what happens with some of these uncertainties over the next six, four to six months. Now, for solar installers, the message is simple. Prices might go up. They might not, but they might. 
So how do you deal with that? You got to stay lean. You got to stay local. Don't expand too fast. Don't expand to the point where you can't downsize quickly to adjust to market conditions. So you have to make sure that your costs are kind of variable. Renting a lot of buildings, getting a lot of equipment, lots of locations, big investments like that. You can't downsize that quickly. Second thing is make sure you've got backup supplies for your key components. If you only have one solar panel supplier or only one inverter supplier, make sure you've got a backup. Don't get tied to one manufacturer because if they die, you can die. So you want to have options. And that's something that I've always done. Third, as far as customers looking for solar products, guess what? Don't worry. The current solar panels that you have on the roof are fine. The inverters are fine. And if you're working with a local company that has products, then make sure that you know they're going to sell you something that has a viable warranty on it. But those solar panels, heck, even if you just had Solar World solar panels installed last week, do not worry a bit because I'm confident that those things are still going to work. Now, as far as finding a company to work with, work with a local solar installer that's been in business for a while and can provide maintenance services. Because guess what? Your inverter, after 10 or 15 years, might need service. You might want somebody to come by and wash your panels after a two or three year period. Maybe there's some wiring that has to get tuned up. So don't worry if you're a consumer, if you're looking at solar for your home. And if you're in the solar installation or manufacturing business, just, you know, be careful. All right. Well, that's all the time we have on this week's Energy Show. Thanks to all of our listeners for joining us today. And if you missed any of today's show, you can always go to our website at cinnamonsolar.com and listen to the podcasts.